Let me pray for us, and we're going to get started this morning looking at Mark chapter 6. Father, thank you for how good it's been this morning to, to gather, to be encouraged by one another, to pray together, to sing these psalms together, to see these baptisms happen. God, I pray that there are people in the room even now who they've never been baptized as, as a follower of Jesus. Maybe they're thinking about being a Christian. Maybe they're thinking about baptism. God, I pray that what they've seen these teenagers do this morning, God, would be a prompt that they would reach out to someone, that they would take this step of faith. And God, as we take the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service, prepare our hearts for that. Teach us more this morning about what it means to come to this meal, to come to what Jesus has done for us. And so God, as we have this time to think about Mark chapter six and, and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, may all that we do this morning be honoring to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever gone someplace or done something that you really regretted. Sitting on that hillside, thinking about last week, that was me, regretting my life choices. I knew I shouldn't have gone where I went, but I did. The invitation that came in was for all of the most powerful people in Galilee to be there. The political leaders, the military commanders, all the big shots were going to be there. And you would think that seeing your little girl raised from the dead would keep you away from sin, but, but not me. I've always been amazed by the teaching of Jesus and, and especially amazed by his miracles, but it's embarrassing to say I don't really know who he is. I don't know what he's up to, and frankly, I, I don't know why it matters. My daughter's miracle has been causing trouble in our house with the servants. And to be honest, there's trouble between me and my wife. Just because a miracle happens in your family doesn't mean all of your marriage problems go away immediately. And I'm still addicted to power and money. I'm addicted to being part of the right crowd. And, and addictions die hard. So I went. I went to Herod's birthday party. Now, let's be honest. Most adult birthday parties are pretty lame, but Herod pulled out all the stops. Actually, I don't think Herod planned his birthday party. I think it's his new wife, Herodias, because that lady absolutely controls him. You see, Herod divorced his previous wife to marry Herodias, who was his sister-in-law. That family is messed up. John the Baptist, JTB, camel hair prophet, honey and locusts, living out in the wilderness. John the Baptist, the prophet, he spoke up against that marriage, and he was thrown into prison. But surprisingly, Herod liked John, or, or at least he was afraid of John, and he would listen to John speak about the kingdom of God. And I think that Herod was close to becoming part of God's kingdom, but Herodias hated John and left him in prison. And so, the birthday party was going okay until they brought out the daughter of Herodias to dance for us. And I felt so sick because she wasn't that much older than my own daughter, Talitha. My little Talitha, 12 years old, raised from the dead, full of energy and joy, telling everybody about Jesus even though we weren't supposed to. And now here I am at this party 
surrounded by these powerful men watching this little girl dance and not the good, fun kind of dancing, but seductive and provocative, and I have no idea where she learned that. And Herod was pleased and drunk, but, but pleased, pleased enough that he offered this little girl up to half of his kingdom. I thought she was going to pick her own castle or maybe to go on a trip with her friends, but her lousy, no-good mom convinced her to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And sure enough, just a little bit later at the party, the head of John the Baptist shows up on a platter in front of us. Now I really did feel sick. The regret, this little girl dancing, the head of the prophet, I had to get out of that place. I had to get to my family. I had to find Jesus. Sitting on the hillside, I knew what he was thinking. I always did as his wife. He was thinking about what happened last week at Herod's party. The regret, watching that little girl dance, the death of John the Baptist. And now, looking around at this crowd, I can't believe how many people showed up today. There, there have to be 5,000 men here, and, and most of them have their family with them. You see, these men don't have the power that the men at Herod's party have, but these men, they want power. And we heard that Jesus was coming back across the lake. And so everybody rushed to meet him because the men had been planning for this moment. You see, they wanted a leader. These men wanted a Messiah who would gather an army and go against the Romans. And Jesus was their guy. And they knew they could get the disciples to buy into their plan. And so they went after Jesus. But when Jesus arrived, he didn't treat us the way a military commander treats his troops. Jesus treated us the way a shepherd treats his sheep. Jesus was full of compassion not vengeance. Jesus had everybody sit down in this green field, and then he began to teach. And the only thing I could think of was Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And Jesus, he taught all day. And then at the end of the day, you could tell everybody was getting restless and, and hungry. And I wanted to get out our food to give to my kids, but I felt bad because I could tell nobody else had food with them. And then I saw Jesus and his disciples, and you could tell they were disagreeing and there was uncertainty about what to do. And before I knew it, my son picked up our lunch and began to walk toward the disciples. That boy is a true second child. Impulsive, creative, a little bit crazy, uh, but always wanting to help other people. And so he took the food, our food, and gave it to one of the disciples named Philip. Philip gave the food to Jesus, and Jesus took the food, and looking up into heaven, he said, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth food from the ground. And Jesus broke the bread, and the disciples began to pass it out. You know what happened? The food multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and everybody ate and ate until they were completely satisfied. I was amazed that Jesus fed everybody. 
not just the miracle of feeding everybody, I was amazed that he included everybody. Because you see, our meals and our culture, there are so many rules. Rules about washing, rules about who can be included in the meal, who's pure enough to be there. And Jesus, he included everybody. And he was so generous. It was like when Jesus touched the bread, he purified it. The same way he purified the water at his baptism. And after the meal, there was so much food left over. The disciples, they collected the food after the meal, and there was a basket for each of them. It was like Jesus was sending them home with a party gift. He was sending them home with a reminder. And all I could think of was how different this meal was than the meal my husband had gone to last week at Herod's party. Because you see, Herod, he's a violent king who invited all these powerful people to come to him at his palace. And Jesus is a loving shepherd who went out to care for regular people in a green field in the middle of nowhere. Herod, his meal, had all of this rich food and incredible gifts. Jesus, he worked with bread and fish. At Herod's meal, there was a little child who was manipulated and used and frankly probably abused. And at Jesus' meal, there was a little child who was valued and honored and allowed to participate and his gift was multiplied. At Herod's party, life was taken. At Jesus' party, life was given. And all these stories that my parents had told me growing up came back. God providing food for his people in the wilderness, providing manna, and giving Moses to lead the people, and how Moses divided the people into groups in order to be able to care for them. And the stories about Elisha. Elisha, who God used to multiply the cooking oil for that poor widow. And Elisha, who in the very next story in our Holy Bible, God used him to raise a child from the dead. And in the very next story after that in our Bible, God sat Elijah with a group of people. Someone brought bread, and the bread was multiplied so that everybody was able to eat. Today, the one who multiplied the bread, he is the giver of life. He is fulfilling the work of Moses and the prophets. And more than that, I think he is God with us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I hate the water. I hate the lake. I hate the water. I know that's a terrible thing to say, especially when your friends are fishermen and you live next to the lake. But my name is Philip, and the name Philip means lover of horses. And horses live on land, which is where I want to be, on land, not on the water. But there I was again. In a boat, in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night. And it had already been a long day. I couldn't give over, get over that little boy who, who brought his food to me, and I gave it to Jesus, and Jesus multiplied the food and fed everyone. And then, Jesus sent us home with leftovers. So now, we were rowing across the lake with baskets of bread in the boat. Why in the world did Jesus send us home with that bread. I was already full. I was already tired. And on top of everything else, I could feel the shark wind beginning to blow. 
So the shark wind is this famous wind that blows from the east across the Sea of Galilee at night, and it is brutal. It was tormenting us. It was like a demon was in your muscles trying to get the boat into that wind. I was ready to give up when one of the other disciples started to panic. He was pointing at something, but no words were coming out of his mouth, and then we turned and looked, and there was a ghost. Now, You've never truly known fear of ghosts until you've been on the lake in the middle of the night or until you've tried to lock up a religious building by yourself late at night. That will cause fear of ghosts as well. And so this figure began to move toward the boat. And it was like he was trying to show us something. And as he got to the boat, he said, Take heart. I am. Don't be afraid. And I recognized the voice. It was Jesus. And he got into the boat, and the wind calmed. And I was amazed and overwhelmed. And I was confused and tired. And I could feel my heart growing hard within me. And as we began to make our way back towards shore, all I could think of is why in the world were these baskets of bread in the boat with us? Okay, fast forward 2,000 years uh, to contemporary life. The way that these stories are put together in Mark chapter 6 is just incredible. You think about these stories that we learned in vacation Bible school or, or kids' Sunday school, Herod's birthday party where everything just goes sideways and, and falls apart, and the picture of sin there, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the story of Jesus walking on the water, and, and we tend to think of those as all separate stories, but the way the gospel writers, and especially the way Mark does this, he's tying all of those stories together with these themes that show us how Jesus works and what he's doing trying to draw people to himself. And, and all the Old Testament connections with these stories the thing that makes Bible studies so much fun when you start to take stories and then realize there are cross-references and they connect to the Old Testament and this story connects to this story and these stories in Mark chapter 6, Psalm 23 is just all over this type of story. Um, Exodus, lots of Exodus references. Second Kings 4, the way the order of the stories from Elisha match what's happening in the Gospel of Mark, Isaiah chapter 43, all these Old Testament connections that come together here. It's just a beautiful picture in Scripture of how Jesus works. If you want to keep notes this morning, if you'd like to keep score, there's two points I'd like to make from, from these passages for us to consider this morning. What do those Bible stories we learn as kids, what do they have to say to us this morning? Point number one is very simple. Point number one, I would just call you this morning to come to the meal of Jesus. Come to the meal that Jesus has provided. What's happening in Mark chapter 6 is Mark is setting up this contrast between the party of Herod and the picnic of Jesus, what Herod seeks to provide and what Jesus provides. And when you see Herod's birthday party, it's just a picture of brokenness and sin. This desire for power, this desire for pleasure, this story that just makes you sick to your stomach about this little girl who is brought out to dance, and, and not the fun, beautiful sports dancing that so many people love to do. 
this is very sexual and very provocative, and, and you just, it makes you sick to your stomach thinking about it and how all these, it's done for, for the pleasure of all these men that are gathered there with power and, and for Herod. And you see all this sin on display. And if we're not careful in this story, we're going to be really hard on the disciples, and we're going to set ourselves up really high. And we're going to say, there's no way I would go to that party. There's no way I would be a part of that. But friends, we've got to watch our heart on that. Because there is a part of us that's drawn to that so quickly. We, we, we love the world and the things of the world. We're drawn to those things. And C.S. Lewis has this quote about how we're drawn to those things, not because our desires are too strong, but because our desires are too weak. The quote goes something like this. C.S. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is offered by a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We give our lives to Herod's birthday party when the giver of life has offered life to us, that we are drawn to his meal, what he is able to provide. And what you find in that story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's not only a picture of Jesus feeding the people with bread. That whole story has this language in it about what Jesus is going to do by offering his life. It's designed to point ahead to the cross and what Jesus does by giving his life so that our sins would be taken away and so that we would be able to receive life that lasts forever. And so to come to the meal of Jesus is to become a follower of Jesus, to be saved, to say, I can't take care of my greatest needs on my own. I need you, Jesus. I need you to do in my life what only you can do. And, the, and you might have picked up as you go through that feeding of the 5,000, it also has a lot of language that sounds like the Lord's Supper. And that's because Mark specifically is doing this. He's tying Mark chapter 6 to Mark chapter 14. That is, Jesus offers the food, the bread, to the 5,000, just like he is going to offer that last supper before the disciples, just like the church is going to gather for the next 2,000 years to celebrate this meal that we're celebrating this morning. That says, this is what Jesus has done. He has given his life for us so that we would be able to have true life, that we come to that meal. And the really great thing about this story is that when we come to that meal, we can have this childlike faith where we offer to Jesus all that we have. The, the disciples in this story, they're put in a position where they realize that what they have to offer is not enough to take care of the situation. But what they fail to realize is who is with them and what he can do with what they offer. And so you have here this famous story of the little boy who comes and, and brings his fish and bread. A couple of years ago, I was in a really, really low place uh, about pastoring and, and trying to serve the church and what God was doing in our church family at Emmaus. And, and my dad, in, in his spiritual wisdom, reached out to me with a text message, and, and he was referencing something that Dallas Jenkins, uh, the creator of the Chosen miniseries, had talked about, where someone had reached out to Dallas in a, in a tough time and said, remember, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's our job to bring the fish and bread. Jesus does the miracle. 
He does the feeding. He does what we can never do. But what we have the chance to do is bring the fish and bread. Just lay it out before Jesus, what you have to give, and he will take your life and do more with it than you could ever do on your own, more than you could ever imagine. And so this morning, if you've come to the meal of Jesus, if you said, I want to repent, I want to turn away from sin, I don't want anything to do with Herod's birthday party, I want to give my life to Jesus, what are we offering before him? What, what can we lay before him that we say, this is all yours, Jesus. Take it, multiply it, do with it more than, than we could ever imagine. We have to think about that as a church family. Uh, there's, a, there's a pride that comes that says, we have a bunch to offer, we want to do all these great things. And then, like Amanda and I were talking last night, there's also a type of pride that comes along and says, well, I don't have anything to give. Friends, if you're a part of this church family, you absolutely have fish and bread to give. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts. You have resources, you have talents, you have a life to contribute, and as we come and do those things together, God will multiply that in ways that no advertising or marketing ever could. He will take our fish and bread, and he will do beautiful things with it. And so at the very beginning here, I just wanna say, come to the meal of Jesus. Point number two is that we would continue to trust and the one who walks on water and walks to the cross. That we would put our trust in the one who walks on water and is walking in this story straight to the cross. Probably the most surprising part of this entire story is when you get to the end of Jesus walking on the water and you think the disciples are gonna get it at this point. Like they're gonna celebrate and they're gonna worship and they're gonna say, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And what happens? Their hearts are growing hard. How can this be happening? Why could their hearts be growing hard when they see all these miracles happening around them? Two reasons. The first reason their hearts are growing hard is they don't fully understand what Jesus is up to. They don't see the big picture. So I guess if you're taking notes, it might be simpler, right? They just don't see the big picture. They don't see where all of this is heading and what, what God is up to. They can only see the small part and, and they just don't understand and, and so their hearts are growing hard. Their hearts are also growing hard because they're tired. They're tired, they've been going time after time. It says in that story that they're striving against the wind, which is this picture of they keep working, they keep working, they keep working, and they don't see any results. And you wanna know how to make your heart heart hard? <laughs> It's to work and work and work and not feel like you're seeing any results. Like it just isn't going anywhere. What, what are you up to, God? What's going on here? How can you tell if your heart is getting hard? It's usually not, and hear me clear on this, it's usually not that be, you become super hostile to Jesus or Christianity. It's usually not that you swing all the way to be hostile. Your heart starts to grow hard when you just stop caring. When you just become apathetic or cynical you, you find yourself really short with people. You find yourself making fun of people who are pursuing Jesus. You find yourself complaining about little things. There's no passion for worship. There's no anticipation of, God, how are you gonna work this Sunday? How are you gonna work this week? Your, your love for God and your love for others begins to run cold. That's how our heart becomes hard. And we can get in that situation so quickly when we don't see what God is up to, when, when we don't turn to him for strength. And so what's the answer to that? The answer is Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another every day, 
as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we're not careful, our hearts will grow hard toward the Lord and hard toward others. How do we not let that happen? You need someone to encourage you. You need people around you who are gonna come alongside and say, keep going. Jesus is worth it. Remember, remember how good he is. Remember what he's doing. Remember how God's at work in our church. Remember how God's at work in the world. Don't give up. We're gonna move ahead together. Because if you try to keep going on your own, you won't make it. Your heart will grow hard and, and you get separated from people. This is something, I just have to tell you, this is something that our teenagers are beginning to do really, really well. Our youth are doing really well at Emmaus in this area. Of They see God working. They see God working in their lives and, and other people. And they're bringing people alongside. Like, we've got to do this together. We need people. If you're here at Emmaus, you need a Sunday school class. If not a Sunday school class, you need a group of people that you're texting during the week, that you're connecting with. Men's ministry, women's ministry. You need somebody who's in your corner encouraging you, exhorting you, saying, keep going. Keep following Jesus. Don't let your heart grow hard. Church is such a good gift in that way that we gather together to remember who Jesus is and what he has done. And one of the ways we can do that this morning is by simply taking the Lord's Supper together. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper where we remember that Jesus gave his body and blood so that our sins would be taken away and so that we would find life in him. Life that lasts for all of eternity. And my prayer for you is that this morning would encourage you to keep going that this morning would encourage you to keep following Jesus, keep telling others about him. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that there is no embarrassment, no shame in not taking of the bread and juice. Taking this bread and taking this juice doesn't automatically take away your sins. It doesn't automatically make you a Christian. But this morning, this is a perfect opportunity to think about which party do I wanna go to? Which meal do I want to be a part of? And my prayer for you is that God would call you to himself, that you would trust in him this morning. And immediately after this time is finished, come and talk to me about that. Come and ask questions. Let us pray for you as you seek to follow Jesus. Let's pray together, Emmaus, and then we're going to prepare to have the Lord's Supper together. Father, thank you for these stories from, from Mark chapter six, these incredible stories that we love to tell our kids and grandkids, we love to talk about in VBS and, and Sunday school, but these are big stories. They carry big themes throughout scripture of, of what you're up to and how you work in the world. God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here whose heart has been drawn toward what we would call Herod's birthday, God, their heart has been drawn towards sin. That might look like pornography. That might look like taking advantage of people around them. That might mean just continually being drawn into addictions and sin and desire for power. Whatever that looks like, God, when our hearts are drawn away from you, I pray that this morning is a chance to repent of that and to turn back to the meal that Jesus provides that we find life in him. And God, we offer, we offer to you our fish and bread, the little bit that we have to offer, and we ask you to multiply it. God, thank you for the good things you're doing in our church family. Help us not 
to have hearts that grow hard. Help us to continue to believe, to continue to move forward. God, help Emmaus to be a church that is so good at encouraging one another to follow Jesus. And God, help this morning, this time of taking the Lord's Supper to be part of that process. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.